Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. First, thanks to everyone who showed support of KKFI during our recent pledge drive. Second, you know we leave open the opportunity to give. If you have not yet pledged to keep listener-supported KKFI on the air, please go online to kkfi.org. Listeners are aware that we bring you vital information underserved or ignored by mainstream media. Today on Jaws of Justice, we will open our hour with host Bev Livingston and James Bryant, Reconciliation Services Director of Programs, and they'll speak about the vision of Reconciliation Services, which is to cultivate community, transform Troost Avenue from a dividing line into a gathering place, and reveal the strength of all. Reconciliation Services and its predecessor, Reconciliation Ministries, have been at the corner of 31st and Troost for more than 30 years. This corner in Midtown Kansas City represents 200 years of deep-rooted racial and economic history. Once a part of the Osage Nation, then a part of the Porter Plantation, and now a racial dividing line for the city. But join us as Bev and James talk about a new future for our community. Hopefully a future that has no racial dividing lines. This is the 21st century. We're all in this together. We'll play our calendar at the midpoint of our hour. We hope you stay tuned to hear Craig Lubo speak with attorney Bob I about legal topics, including an update on continuing attempts to ban abortion, transgender legislation to ban participation in sports, and legislative attempts to end the statute of limitations for time limits to bring criminal prosecutions of sex offenses. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now to our show. Good morning. Um, Bev Livingston here with James Bryant, Program Director at Reconciliation. And we are delighted to share with you many, many things that are going on with the reconciliation program in Kansas City. But we want to start with being Black History Month. We want to start with the Porter uh, Plantation story and see how this all evolved into the wonderful, wonderful program that reconciliation offers Kansas City. Good morning. Good Mr. morning. Bryant. Good morning, Bev. This is a, a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity and um, the privilege to be able to sit and chat about a few things that are, that are important to our community. Uh, talking about the Porter Plantation, um, it, it, it was a farm, the Porter Farm, and it stretched from uh, 31st all the way down to 23rd Street from Charlotte down to Paseo, Paseo Lake, uh, and it was a slave plantation. Uh, and in that day, we know the horror and the damage and the trauma that was caused by that, uh, truce being that dividing line and still is the talk of the division between the city east and west of Troost uh, are the things that we are still looking to reconcile, reconcile the relationships, perform, and, and be part of the healing process that 
uh, is so needed, not just in our individual lives, but also in the city. Uh, and reconciliation services uh, sitting right on that corner of 31st and Troost uh, is the place where we purpose to make sure that lives are touched and healed and people are able to deal with the things that have historically, uh, systematically, and systemically um, caused trauma in their lives. Well, that explains the name of reconciliation and how it became um, the name of this fine organization that we're going to talk about programs and services that are being offered in the community and have been for some decades now. So I want to begin with the main programs that you direct, sir, that provide social services and other kinds of needs met through your work. So do you want to start with Thelma's Kitchen or Foster Grandparents <laughs> or the Reveal Program? You've got some great stuff going on. All right. All of our programs are kind of uh, designed to make sure that we deal with the economic and racial uh, disparities in the urban core. Mm -hmm. And if you, it, if you look at um, Reconciliation Services, it all started um, with Thelma uh, Beaver, and she was the one in the community that was already working, a leader, a feeder, a warrior, an intercessor, a caretaker. And because of the work that she was doing and providential um, uh, work, David Alshul, who uh, worked, uh, who's a, an insurance salesman uh, from Johnson County, he wanted to show some love and support and serve the poor as well. They met and they started what they called Thelma's Kitchen, or Thelma's, uh, Thelma's used to feed people through her, her work in the community. Um, Thelma's Kitchen is an offset of that, and it is a place where you can come together, you can dine, and people from all walks of life were welcome. Uh, it was not a soup kitchen. It started off in that type model where one size fits all, but then we realized that all people are an individual expression of God, and they're worthy of veneration, they're worthy of respect, and Thelma's Kitchen kind of rose to the occasion to make sure that people had an opportunity to participate in Thelma's Kitchen, to volunteer, to be able to um, uh, decide on what they wanted to eat and not just have to have one particular type of meal, um, and all of the food at Thelma's Kitchen is uh, quality food. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful place to start a conversation mm -hmm. uh, from the those that are in poverty to those that are considered wealthy. Uh, so that's where it all kind of began. There's another program, Foster Grandparents, which is the 55 and older in the public school system. And uh, that program is where the elders are still sharing love with the kiddos in the school systems. The kiddos are returning that same love. We don't know where children come from there the homes that are broken, the homes that are single-parent homes, the, son, the homes that may not be able to provide the emotional stability that is required. So Foster Grandparents gives young people, over 300 kids, that opportunity, over 71 uh, grandparents that are in the school systems throughout the Jackson County, and they're able to share um, the love with one another. Our other program, which is our premier program, uh, along with Thelma's Kitchen, is the Reveal Program. Reveal program is uh, inclusive of social services, and social services are the case support, case management, therapy, individual and group therapy. 
So when we talk about social services, we're talking about how do we care for people? Case support, we're able to share rental assistance. We're able to share uh, utilities that are still on and be able to keep people in their services, lights on, water on, um, and gas and, and utilities, such like that. We're also able to uh, help them with their uh, prescription drugs. If they need eyeglasses or dental or medicine, we're able to assist those that may not be able to afford those, those basic needs. Uh, we're able to, to, to lend support in that area so that they can have those needs met. Uh, case management is when you've got some longer-term goals that you're trying to address. You want to make sure that you get the stability that you desire in your home and in your life uh, and for your children within your relationship. Uh, so we'll make some goals and walk with you through that process. And therapy, uh, I, I know that there's a lot of stigma around therapy, but I'm telling you, therapy is required, especially for all of us now. Uh, Post-COVID, uh, pre-COVID, it was necessary. Post-COVID is definitely, definitely necessary. So you've got individual and group therapy that you can participate in, again, to examine how did you get to a place in your life where trauma is beginning to uh, reflect itself in the things that you are experiencing and how do we heal that trauma and how do we move you forward to a place of stability. So those are the, those are the main programs that, that are in um, reconciliation services. Wow, what an amazing, comprehensive um, amount of work that's being done at Reconciliation. And now I see how the name came. <laughs> and you guys are definitely doing a great job in providing the social services that people need. I did have the pleasure of dining at Thelma's Kitchen before you left the Truce location. And I was very impressed with the diversity in the diners, yes. and the, the people who were working and yes. serving the food. I understand that people returning home from incarceration have always been welcomed there and, and maybe fed and it wasn't about the money it was about the service Correct. and the services that I see and have saw rendered are just what is needed to help a person make it through the day um, about where you are now you've kind of moved and you're in a temporary location Correct. off Linwood right behind is that family dollar family dollar 1006 okay. Linwood okay well I've had the pleasure of coming there <laughs> and to my surprise it was just a wonderful energy that I felt when I came in. It wasn't, you know, like a place where you're coming in, you take a number and you just pray that somebody's going to help you with whatever your needs are. The greeting was warm and welcoming. The service was efficient. The people that were in there were not people looking like they were having a pity party. They looked like they came there because there's a confidence yeah. that I saw amongst the staff as well as those being served that you're going to leave and your takeaway is going to be exactly what you came for Absolutely. if not it may take a minute but you guys are delivering the services and I think that's a wonderful thing for the philanthropic community that is supporting organizations such as yours and wanting to make sure that the needs of the people that are intended to be served are being served. Absolutely. So just from my few moments of being there, sir, I want to say that the operation 
a reconciliation is on point. It was very efficient, effective, and it wasn't a place that I think anyone should feel shame, feel that stigma, or not want to come in and get what you have to offer. Tell us a little more about the REVEAL program. Now, that seems to be dealing with the social service needs, but tell me a little bit more about those of us who may have a therapeutic need just to help get through a situational depression, or maybe we're dealing with major depression. Whatever right. the case, how do you and your case managers get the job done in REVEAL? Well, when you come in, first of all, like you said, you are definitely greeted by a team that is intentional, very intentional in how they uh, meet a person, how they speak to a person. Uh, we realize that everyone coming through the door is coming from different places in life. Uh, sometimes they come through the door and we're the last straw. But when they come in to the reveal program, we will assess where a person is at. Uh, and based on their need, we are looking for them to walk with us. We can't do it for you. So you've got to meet us. You've got to participate in your healing. You've got to participate in your own support and maintenance. You've got to participate in the things that we are offering. Um, so that means showing up. That means uh, making sure that you let us know exactly what it is that you're looking to, uh, to, to settle. Um, and through those assessments, we can tell a level of need if it's something that is urgent. Uh, some people may come in for case support. I just need bills paid. I just need to keep my lights on. I just need to keep, keep you know, my, my, myself and my children in our homes with rental assistance. But then as we converse, we'll find that there are other things. Well, how did you get to that place where this need was required? Is it something else that's going on? So case management may be part of that process um, where we'll talk further and set some goals. The other part of it is, again, the therapy part of it, the part of it that, you know, we deep dive into a person's life and ask the questions and have them assess where where did things kind of go awry and how do we move out of that place because some of the things that we are uh, reliving are not happening anymore and we need to move forward from them uh, they are very real things we don't we don't disqualify them or diminish them but we do want people to know that there's there's a way out that you still have a life that you can live, and, and that is what our therapists um, and our case managers and our case support team all purpose to make sure that you experience people walk out of there and they feel the care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's critical. So in terms of your outcomes, you provide people with whatever next steps are that you may not be able to provide there, but your staff or what MSWs or what are some of the credentials that your therapeutic staff has to offer? MSWs, LCSWs, we have uh, um, family clinicians as well, um, and they're all trained uh, to deal with violence and uh, stabilization. They're all trained to deal with substance use, mm -hmm. um, chronic conditions that we may not be able to, to handle. Uh, we will make a warm handoff to uh, the hospitals or places that can deal with uh, very chronic conditions, but we will make sure that you're, you're stable in that, that particular handoff. Um, we make sure that, you know, as we're walking with you through the circumstances that we're, we're, we're being honest with each other, mm -hmm. uh, and that part is, is going to be important in how we move to a place of resolution, a, pl a place of healing. So wherever you're coming from, whether it's violence in the street, whether it's substance use, whether it's, you know, you've been chronic and 
whatever you know whatever your situation was mm-hmm. we will walk with you to make sure that you get to a better place awesome so you're meeting people where they are and you're helping them get to where they need and who are some of your collaborating partners that you may need to refer or hand someone off to after you have done all that reconciliation can do for an individual or a family are there any particular organizations yeah. that you partner with university health journey journey to new life um, okay. are a couple of them uh, and they will help us with those that are chronic and substance use if it is someone that is is needing housing if it's incarceration we will refer to uh, legal aid and make sure that they can get um, expungement or uh, make sure that they get back on their feet with IDs uh, those are the things that will supply for them university health if they need to be um, inpatient we will make sure that they are handed off to a clinician there a doctor there so that they can again begin that healing process well wow, outstanding because i do know that this is a faith-based organization in terms of the foundation and the father i think it's father matthews justin matthews yes okay what is his director. role he's the executive director he's All been right. there since 19 uh let's say 80 not Let's see. He, he's been there since 2013. All right. Yeah. All right. And the original founding father, how Fa- is he and yeah. what is he up to? Father Alexi, he is at the monastery, but he is still very, very active uh, with reconciliation services. He will come through. He's got his finger on the pulse as it relates to the services that we are providing. Mm-hmm. And we always welcome uh, the historical component that he brings to the table mm-hmm. and make sure that the mission that he started it with, with, Hel- with Thelma, is still very much alive. Awesome. It's amazing that you guys are able to maintain posture in the community that it all started and and where reconciliation is known to be posted and people can find right. you. In addition to the the two fathers that are greatly involved in the founding and the maintaining of it, I think they are very, very blessed to have you, who is a bishop, I understand, yes. and your religious background brings the kind of support that people need whether you know we're we're faith-based or in church or whatever we all are God's kids and I appreciate the spirit that you bring because first you bring that educated person that knows what life is about and the struggles of life and then there you are in a position to help make it happen and put forth the people that can be hands-on and get the job done. Are there any things that you want the public to know in terms of the new and and improved and about to step out in your own new space <laughs> that hopefully you'll be occupying soon? What right. would you like for us to know about that? Well, we are pressing towards the end of the year, hopefully to be back on 31st and Troost with the cafe reopening and all of its accoutrements that are participating there. We're looking to also uh, continue with box lunch, which we are doing as far as catering is concerned, and being able to have, again, with the cafe, people coming in and dining and being able to break bread together from all walks of life. Um, The things that we want to make sure as an ultimate goal is that people are um, participating in their personal well-being, that they're they're advocating for themselves and their families and their neighbors, thereby making communities themselves um, healthier. Um, we are making sure that, that, that collaborative partnerships are our focus. 
we realize we can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we have very intentional partnerships to close the gaps on services. And that may be education, that may be employment, that may be housing. So there are a number of, of relationships that we're looking to foster. Philanthropy is always going to be helpful for us because programs require funding. Mm -hmm. And with the government grant systems and, and, and whatnot, those things are always changing. So when people begin to invest in people, uh, they're able to uh, assist conti continually and consistently. Uh, volunteerism, come on through with Thelma's Kitchen and volunteer and, and, and find out what it's like to make sandwiches and cookies mm -hmm. and then being able to serve those. Uh, Reveal will also be opening up a component of volunteerism where you're able to work with clients and, and be able to share in uh, making sure that they walk out with, with the things that they are requiring. Uh, referrals. If you know someone that needs therapy, uh, we are not exclusive in that you have to be part of a certain zip code. So we will assist people from Jackson County in general. Uh, so make sure that we we are able to, to uh, get referrals from, from other agencies and from inside. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that you, you will be able to help us with. You, again, you'll find us at 1006 Linwood. Uh, and we welcome all of your help. Well, will you give us your website and how someone may, might be able to donate if they want to help support the outstanding work of reconciliation? How do they do that, and how do they learn more about you online? Everything RS is rs3101.org, rs3101.org. There you will find out about our programs. You will find out about our opportunities to donate. You'll find out about Thelma's Kitchen and the menu. Uh, you will find out how we're, we're active in the community and events that are coming up as it relates to either our client guests, our partner guests, and or the agency itself. Um, so RS3101, you can find us on Facebook and also Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. We're on all of the social media outlets and we want you to stay connected with us. So look us awesome. up. Awesome. Not <laughs> hard to find. I appreciate today being able to share the impacts, the quality, the quantity, the outcomes that you all are providing at Reconciliation. I look forward to coming and seeing your new facility, and I invite all of Kansas City to know that Reconciliation is here, and you got something for everybody from the cradle yes, to the grave. We do. You are helping we families do. make it, and that's what it's about is survival in our community. Community yeah. and reconciliation is there. Thank you very, very much, Thanks. the Bishop <laughs> James Bryant. And we'd love to have you back again after you. you relocate and tell us what's going on. Love it. We have a couple of more minutes. Is there anything that you would like to add to let our listeners know um, that we may not have mentioned? Is there anything that comes well, to your mind? Just statistically, you know, we serve over 4,000 people. Uh, a year, and that may be through uh, our reveal services. Um, and again, that includes all of the services around case management, case support, therapy, um, and everything that's necessary for them to assist. We always want to make sure that, you know, out of that 4,000, what is our real story? So we're looking at not just quantity of people, but the quality of services that we're providing. So we don't want to just say that we've done this. We want to make sure that when you come through Reconciliation Services that you are on a road to uh, stability, that the trajectory of your life changes, and that you know we have the skills and the team 
uh, to make sure that that happens in a holistic way. And you mentioned the faith component of it, the undergirding of everything we do has to have a faith component. And we trust and believe that the grace that, that is given to all of us is, is part of that process of being able to access uh, services that are not just affordable, but that are required in our community. So mm-hmm. we, we welcome um, any hands that, that are able to assist us. We welcome partnerships that also provide services. And we welcome people that are in need of supports and services. Well, I would like to encourage people to come get some of this. And this podcast will be available on the archives for KKFI. Share it with your friends. Come and get some of the good food at Thelma's Kitchen. (laughs) And help us keep Reconciliation, the fine organization that it's been, that it is, and it's to become. I appreciate your time, sir, with KKFI and Jaws of Justice. May you and yours have a wonderful day or evening. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you again for the opportunity. I appreciate it. The Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College has been a venue for the performing arts and arts education since 1990, welcoming audiences to performances that include blues, rock, jazz, classical, world music, comedy, and children's programming. The Midwest Trust Center, in support of KKFI, has a full list of events and accepts donations at jccc.edu slash Midwest Trust Center. Catch the local showcase every Thursday night on KKFI, where we highlight local musicians, poets, artists, and events from the Kansas City and surrounding areas. Curated and brought to you by a different KKFI host from week to week. That's the local showcase every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on 90.1 FM KKFI. Now the calendar for the week of February 20. The Kansas City Chapter of Missouri Citizens United for the Rehabilitation of Errants has a monthly virtual meeting. Missouri Cure advocates for the human rights of prisoners in Missouri prisons and jails, as well as for those who have returned to society. For information, please call Keith Brownhill at 816-377-2873. You can find Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense events at momsdemandaction.org. These are open to all, mothers and others. Tuesday, February 21st at 7 p.m., there's an evening with NPR's Juana Summers at the Dole Institute, 2350 Pete Fish Drive, Lawrence, Kansas. NPR's All Things Considered co-host, Juana Summers, discusses her remarkable career, her experiences covering race and politics in today's climate, and the future of journalism. This is a live event, but you can also find it on the Dole Institute's YouTube page. Thursday, February 23rd, 1 to 3 p.m., the Kansas City Public Library, Southeast Branch, 6242 Swope Parkway, Kansas City, Missouri, is showing Judas and the Black Messiah, a live event. This movie is the story of Fred Hampton, who became chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, putting him directly in the crosshairs of the government, the FBI, and the Chicago police. Please RSVP at kclibrary.org. 
Thursday, February 23rd, 6.30 p.m., the League of Women Voters of Greater Kansas City will host a forum for Kansas City Council 1, 2, and 3rd District candidates. This is an online event. You can find it on Facebook. Thursday, February 23rd, 6 to 8 p.m., Moore Square asks you to join their annual public meeting, the biggest event of the year. You're welcome to attend either live at Overland Park Christian Church, 7600 East 75th, Overland Park, Kansas, or on Zoom. Please sign up at moresquare.org. Thursday, February 23rd, 6.30 p.m., Empower Missouri is holding a virtual town hall webinar on the topic of why faith leaders believe in a clean slate. Learn more at mocleanslate.org and register for the webinar at empowermissouri.org. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. These events and more can be found on the show episode page at kkfi.org, as well as on our Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We now return to our program. All right. Thank you for joining us. This is Craig Lubo, and my guest today is Bob I. And Bob is an attorney in Kansas. He comes from Goodland originally, and he has been doing civil and criminal law practice for approximately 40 years. He's semi-retired now. His specialty has become environmental law and civil liberties. Last Monday, you heard him talk about environmental law here on Eco Radio, and today we get to talk about some civil liberty issues. There's quite a few issues, so we'll get to what we can today, and then what we don't get to today, I'll have Bob on again in April or May. So, and he graduated from Washburn Law School, for those who are interested in what schools we go to. Um, so, welcome, Bob. Thanks very much, Greg, and good morning to you. Good morning. So, let's start with... Because one of the big issues, although we have dealt with this quite a bit on um, KKFI in the past, is the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court, for those that were sleeping through the news cycle about a year ago, um, overturned um, Roe v. Wade and said there is no constitutional federal right to reproductive rights, to women's right to choose. Kansas then tried to put an amendment on the ballot because the Kansas Supreme Court found, previously found that there is a constitutional right to abortion under the Kansas Constitution. The amendment that was attempted failed and so that's where we are now. But in the meantime, there are people in the legislature who have been introducing bills trying to get around that into the Kansas court rulings and to, to somehow ban abortion. 
this has also happened in several other states. So we've just been probably about half of the time on that issue. Um, Bob, if you can update us on what's going on in Kansas and then maybe a few minutes on what's going on elsewhere. I'll be happy to, Craig. Yeah, in Kansas, we have this kind of paradox uh, playing out in the legislature, and that is that on the one hand, we had a resounding uh, vote in favor of abortion rights last August. As you mentioned, it was in response to a proposed constitutional amendment, which would have banned abortion or eventually banned abortion. The uh, Unfortunately, uh, from the pro-choice side of of the spectrum, the many legislators in Kansas and their uh, allies in the lobbying organizations and so forth are acting as if the vote in August did not happen. And it, so there are various restrictions uh, um, being introduced in bills in the Kansas legislature today. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how many of them make it through. It'll be interesting to see what the governor does with any of them. I assume that when it comes to abortion uh, legislation, the governor will, if it, if it involves restrictions, that the governor would veto it. And then we're back to the veto drama uh, back in the, in the legislature where there uh, is barely a, a two-thirds supermajority for uh, overriding a veto. But those supermajorities, when they are hanging by a one- or two-vote thread, can tend to go away uh, almost as quickly as they appear. So in Kansas, while today uh, a woman from any state can come here and receive abortion treatment, there is pressure uh, at the legislative level to restrict it even further. And believe me, the Republican leadership in the legislature wants to ban abortion, 100%, with no exceptions. Uh, so there's still that tension there, even though the the electorate voted by 57 or 58% to support uh, abortion rights in Kansas. Uh, and I'll, I'll just, there's one other piece of corroborating evidence that I think is important to note here. Every year, the Docking Institute at Fort Hayes State University out in Hayes, Kansas, uh, they conduct a survey of Kansans concerning attitudes about various things, but including abortion. And in the most recent survey, in, uh, which was about a year ago, the, the, the survey indicated that 57% of those surveyed supported abortion rights with no restrictions. No restrictions. Now, 57%. Getting 57% of people in Kansas to agree on anything is fairly significant. To have that sort of consensus on abortion rights, I think, is significant, even if it is not significant, excuse me, even if it's not significant to the Republicans in the legislature who are, to this day, uh, much hostile toward those rights. So it, 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 I, I think that. For now, abortion rights in Kansas are relatively safe, if only because we have a governor who would likely veto restrictions, and if only because holding together that supermajority to override vetoes is is a tenuous uh, is a tenuous situation for the Republicans. So 
So in other states, uh, we have a very mixed picture. For example, uh, there is a full ban on abortion in the following states, and these are in no particular order, just the ones that I just how they come up on the map. Uh, Idaho, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. Now, those are full bans uh, that are currently in effect. Uh, the, there are bans at the 15, 18, or 20-week gestational uh, point in Utah, Arizona, North Carolina, and Florida. Georgia has a six-week gestational limit. Uh, otherwise, abortion is banned there as well. So we do have a number of states where abortion care today is not available. Um, really under any circumstances. And now, it's also important to note that this is a very fluid situation because the ban is actually blocked by court actions in Arizona, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, Iowa, Indiana, and Ohio. Now, obviously, those are in process through the judiciary. We have no idea how they're going you know, to turn out, of course. But let me give you a, a, a kind of a thumbnail sketch of one of these states I think is kind of interesting, and that's Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming, as we know, is a very conservative state. Lynn Cheney couldn't win re-election, even though she has uh, conservative bona fides, but her other political problems precluded that. Wyoming doesn't elect Democrats to much of anything in the state. But its state constitution has some language that is very similar to the Constitution of Kansas. And so far, uh, a district judge in Wyoming, a district court judge, has blocked its ban, has blocked the, the ban on abortion in Wyoming. That case, is, that case is bound to go to the Wyoming Supreme Court at some point, but not until there is a trial in Wyoming to to test the, the basis of both sides' positions when it comes to abortion. In Wyoming, uh, it's a very interesting case that's being brought, and the parties, the plaintiffs in that case, the ones who are challenging the ban, include abortion providers, um, and uh, importantly, it, in, it includes some individuals who, for example, are two Jewish women of reproductive age, who are plaintiffs in that case. And they are bringing it, and they are making the argument that under their faith, uh, abortion has to be available in order for them to uh, fulfill their spiritual uh, obligations. Uh, they're not the only party in the case, of course, challenging it, but it's, I think it's, a, it's important to remember that these, that these lawsuits have a variety of angles being taken to try to preserve abortion rights. Um, and so I think it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how many of those play out. And I think it's also important to remember, and this is, this is on, the, on the more positive side uh, of reproductive uh, rights, that there are a number of states since Roe went down, Roe v. Wade went down uh, last year, 
that have actually enacted additional protections for abortion rights. Uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, New York, Massachusetts, and Maine have all strengthened their abortion laws in the last year. Uh, we know that in Michigan, they put it on the they put uh, abortion rights on the ballot, and it abortion rights carried uh, rather handily in Michigan. Uh, Illinois, who's always had strong abortion rights protections, has enhanced its uh, protections uh, through its through legislative action. And I, I think that this is <clears throat> given that there are these states that are now essentially stepping up and uh, challenging the Supreme Court's ban, uh, effective ban, because Roe v. Wade went down, uh, they're stepping up and making these states essentially abortion rights havens. Now, there are some states, Colorado, for example, where the governor, by executive order, uh, has instituted protections for women coming from other states to receive abortions in Colorado. There are several other states that are following that path as well. And d- just so, to clarify mm-hmm. that, Bob, mm-hmm. s- some of the states have made it illegal for women to go and have an abortion in another state, even though it's legal in that other state. And if right. I understand what you're saying, is Colorado is protecting those women. Um, if it ends up in the Supreme Court, how is that likely to turn out since it's going to be mm-hmm. one state against the other? Boy, that that's a really interesting question. I think that the, the court will have a very difficult time, uh, on the one hand, uh, supporting what they inherently believe is a premise in the United States law, and that is the enhancement of states' rights. At the same time, uh, while cutting back on those states' prerogatives to protect abortion. I mean, remember, in the Dobbs v. Jackson case that overruled Roe, the court made a big point out of saying that this needs to be, essentially, that the issue of abortion needs to be returned to the states. Now, obviously, uh, that... (laughs) That opens up the possibility for this very much patchwork arrangement of abortion rights throughout our country. On the other hand, if the court remains true to that, there will be states that can not only preserve abortion rights, but as I mentioned, a number of states have already enhanced abortion rights since uh, Roe v. Wade was overruled. Uh, so I, it, this this idea that the that the court has uh, has cultivated in the last few years that states should be given greater prerogatives to decide these sorts of public policy issues probably bodes well for the states where um, abortion rights are protected. Doesn't bode so well for states where those rights are being undermined or repealed because. Again, if the court is true to its true to its prior opinions, which that's a whole different discussion, but if they are, 
then they should be willing to accept this outcome where you get radically different positions on abortion rights from one state to another. Uh, legally, it's an unsatisfying situation when you have that sort of variability from one state to another. Uh, the, the hardships on women that, uh, per, that, that obviously follow this, I think, are well-known and becoming better known each day as women have to travel from someplace like some from someplace like say Louisiana to New Mexico or Kansas or Illinois to get an abortion. And I think we have to accept the reality that in a number of states the women who would have gotten abortions will not. And so their lives are forever uh, upended uh, and they will have to uh, make uh, adjustments accordingly. And the other piece of this is, of course, states that, that repeal abortion rights rarely, rarely enhance the protections uh, for maternal health and for newborn and for children generally. So you've got this contradiction on the one hand where states act out of uh, what they consider to be compassion for uh, women and uh, they consider the rights for the unborn. But on the other hand, as soon as babies are born and women are then cast out on their own to fend for themselves very frequently. And so uh, that contradiction is probably really not sustainable over time in a political sense. Uh, that contradiction will catch up. And politicians who have taken the view that they can, on the one hand, restrict abortion rights while not enhancing the protections for newborn and, and for maternal health and so forth, uh, will, will eventually, I think, be called to, to account for that uh, contradictory position. Okay. Uh, now, you mentioned before the situation with the couple, the Jewish women raising their faith. The, is that going to present a dilemma for the Supreme Court if it goes that far? because they have been expanding their rulings on religious freedom, using <laughs> that as a basis, for example, of saying that we can't, interfere, we can't force somebody to bake a cake in Colorado for a gay couple right. based on religious freedom. So if... It seems to me like they've boxed themselves in the corner. If they go say we have religious freedom, then they're going to have to allow these Jewish women to to have abortions if they want them. Craig, you're right. I mean that it it, it comes down to either yielding on this absolutist kind of view on religious rights that the court has taken and realize that there have to be exceptions to that, or more ominously. The religious rights will be will not be extended to the Jewish faith or other non-Christian faiths, but will be extended to Christian faith uh, believers. Uh, I, I, I can't even this court. I think would be hard pressed to have that latter position prevail. That is, have this um, have Christian only uh, rights protected. 
I don't think that the court would would go there because of its obvious contradictions with longstanding constitutional jurisprudence. You know, on the other hand, this is a court who's been willing to to jettison uh, longstanding precedent in favor of what some believe to be a a politicized uh, judicial process. And, you know, that, that possibility, I think, has to be uh, accounted for. So we may get some strange anomaly here out of the court where, for example, Jewish rights, a, a Jewish woman's right to an abortion would not be protected, even though the woman has a religious premise for her, for her beliefs and her rights. Uh, and that would be a, a grim day in our country because it would really, it would really it would establish essentially a uh, a clerical uh, judicial system that is a system that depends on uh, sectarian views rather than secular views where some religions are protected some are not and we've always railed in this country against having a national religion even though many people believe that this is a christian nation it's there's there's really not as much basis for that as there is for the belief that all religions ought to be allowed to flourish. People ought to be able to allow them, their faith to be manifest in the ways that they see fit. Uh, that, I think, is in danger. Uh, this is a court that's very ambitious, let's face it. They, they want to change the, the fabric of our country. And in order to do that, they will have to deal with these very these varying degrees of religious rights uh, when it comes to abortion. And uh, I think it will be interesting and potentially, as I say, rather ominous to see what happens. And I remember the day when a certain party on the right, we won't name, <laughs> used to accuse the courts of being an activist court. And yet, I think this court, at least in my opinion, seems to be the most activist that we've had since I've been alive, and I'm 68. So, um. well, we share that view, Craig, and it's it's really not only in the area of civil rights, but it's a number of other areas where there's been this decided retreat uh, by the court from uh, positions that. You know, frankly, you and I learned about in law school many years ago, and our predecessors learned about it in law school many years ago. But that sort of long-standing precedent, which should make uh, under the under the law of uh, that the Supreme Court follows, long-standing precedent carries weight, and uh, it, it, it weighs against changing that precedent. But again, this is a court that's thrown much of that to the wayside and uh, is not, apparently doesn't feel as constrained as many prior courts have. Okay. For those just joining us, we are talking to Bob Bai, a Kansas attorney, and we talked about some civil liberty issues. We just have a few minutes left. So, Bob, let's turn quickly to the issue of what I refer to as the anti-transgender legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two things I've been hearing about. Um, one is involving sports where they want to ban trans athletes from participating in women's sports. 
Right. And the other issue is to ban um, trans um, treatments and stuff to minors under 18. Right. Uh, I suppose the, the sports one is probably the most significant issue of those two. So let's, if, if you can fill us in on what's happening with that. Yeah, well, those, in, in Kansas at least, those that legislation is still working its way through the system, not without a fair amount of controversy, but it, it appears uh, that this issue of transgender uh, athletes participating in their sports uh, has really, I think, caused many conservatives to to join together and try to attack transgender rights. There is something rather visceral about this issue with many conservatives. And it, it I think it goes right to the heart of transgender rights in general. Uh, there's uh, there's I think many conservatives simply do not accept that there is a separate uh, body of law that would protect transgender rights. Uh, and and I might I have to add uh, that this that the the law on transgender rights is developing. I mean, it's hardly uh, started to develop in, in, when you compare it to other bodies of law, and it's going to take quite a bit of time, I think, for the rights of transgender people, not only in, in athletic activities, but employment opportunities and housing opportunities. All these are going to have to get shaken out over time. And I, I have to, I, I, if I were to you know, make a prediction today, I think that what we'll find is that uh, we're going to have another patchwork of rights in this country that will resemble uh, abortion rights, where one state has those rights, another state does not. I think transgender issues, since they are uh, uh, since they are being fought out mostly in uh, the states rather than, than the federal government, since they're being fought out mostly in the states, I think we're going to get a patchwork of results. Bob, some of which are going to be very strong for protecting those rights, and some will not have no protection at all. Bob, we are out of time. We've got okay. one minute left. So we'll pick up on that again when I have you right. on again, as well as the other issues. For All those right. just joining us, we've been talking about bye. The other two issues we'll talk about next time he's on is um, time limits on prosecuting uh, criminal prosecution of sex offenses and some issues relating to guns. All right. Thank Good. you, Bob. Look forward to it, Craig. Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, folks, this is Cultural Baggage on Pacifica Radio and the Drug Truth Network. Hello, my friends. I am Dean Becker, the Reverend Most High, and I am the guardian of the moral high ground in the drug war. I protect it. For you, we have with us Dr. Ethan Russo. He is, I think, the world's most preeminent uh, marijuana doctor. Uh, we'll get into a lot of details. Hello, Dr. Russo. Hello, Dean. Thanks for having me. Dr. Russo, you started, uh, well, not started, you had a, a major time with GW Pharmaceuticals there in Great Britain. Tell us a little bit about that time, if you will, please. 
Uh, sure. Well, I was a senior medical advisor to them. I started out with five years of consulting work, and then I came on full-time in 2003 for the next 11 years. And that was, uh, during that time, uh, I was involved in the development of two cannabis-based pharmaceuticals called Sativex and Epidiolex, and they're quite different uh, to one another. Sativex is a medicine that is uh, mainly a combination of THC and CBD, both derived from the cannabis plant, um, and that spray in the mouth is approved for in 30 countries for treatment of spasticity, severe muscle tightness, in multiple sclerosis. It is not approved in the U.S., although I suspect that um, jazz pharmaceuticals, which took, took over GW, um, would have plans to continue to pursue that in the future. The other medicine was Epidiolex, which is essentially an isolate from the cannabis plant of cannabidiol or CBD, and that is approved in the U.S. by the Food and Drug Administration for treatment of three conditions called Dravet syndrome, Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, um, and tuber sclerosis, all for treating epilepsy associated with those disorders. We're speaking with Dr. Ethan Russo, E-T-H-A-N-R-U-S-S-O. Go to his website, ethanrusso.org, and you can uh, read along with me on, on some of these uh, uh, writings, uh, these, these uh, publications he's put together. And one that jumped out at me, sir, um, I, I love dogs. I'm, I'm a big dog fan, and, and there's one here I haven't had a chance to read, Forward to Cannabis Therapy in Veterinary Medicine. Uh, I see the ads for those, you know, medicines for dogs, CBD, and so forth. Is that uh, functional for, for animals? Yeah, it sure can be. Um, throughout history, cannabis has been used as medicine not just for dogs but for animals as well. Um, we have evidence going back hundreds of years. Um, I can point out that um, my father was a veterinarian, my brother's a veterinarian, uh, so this has been very important to me. All right. Once again, I do want to thank Dr. Ethan Russo. I want to thank you for listening. I urge you to visit our website, which is drugtruth.net. enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff, or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live 
and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. 